0: So good to have you with us uh, this evening. And let me see. You know, I'm all backwards here. There we go. Okay. Wish we had more time to get this thing set up, but you know, we don't. We don't have any little short movies or anything to show between all of this stuff, so we do our best to get there for you. Well, this evening, of course, we're going to be in in Exodus chapter 4 and 5, but before we get there, let me uh, just make a quick announcement. Uh, There were a few of you that had been praying for a little baby, N.J., the son, uh, Nathaniel John uh, Fernas, who was born a couple of Wednesdays ago, as a matter of fact. And then last Wednesday, Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, he uh, he uh, went, went to be with the Lord at uh, one week old. And uh, Gladys uh, and her husband John appreciate all the prayers uh, that were lifted up for him. Now, there's going to be a little memorial service uh, for those who would like to come uh, uh, to visit with them on uh, Saturday. And uh, Saturday, at, uh, it's the... Um, what was uh, Martin East on George Dieter? I forget what it's called now, Funeraria del Ángeles or Los Ángeles or something like that, right? Anyway, it's, it's on George Dieter right there near uh, Pendale on George Dieter. And uh, the uh, family is going to meet at 2 o'clock, 2 to 3 o'clock, and they want to have uh, just a regular family, uh, private family time. But from 3 to 3.30, there will be a short service. And uh, and then from three to five, it's uh, it will be the uh, visitation and also. Um, if you have any questions, just ask ask me, and I'll I'll give you more more information on that. So let's see here. Oh, okay. We are going to be, again, in Exodus, Ezekiel, not Exodus, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 4, so let's, let's look at that passage together, and I'd like to read verses 1 through 8, I believe, yeah. Ezekiel 4, verses 1 through 8, as we continue on in our study of the book of Ezekiel. I'll tell you what, before we read that. Because I had this all planned out, and I just had a quick little senior moment. But uh, before we read Ezekiel four, I want I want you to turn, and it's not going to be up here. So I want you to turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight, and there's there's a major reason why we need to go here first. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight, and this is good practice, by the way, to get into your Bible and look it up. Okay, so this is how you go through it. You don't depend. So you can't write on the walls here. You know, for notes, for your own notes. So you have to write them in your Bibles or your notebooks. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 28. This this is the Lord speaking to the children of Israel through Moses. And all along, up to this point, he's been giving them the blessings and the cursings. uh, The blessings for obedience, the curses for disobedience. To the whole of the nation. This is in fact the the covenant of God with his people, Israel. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, I want you to listen to some of the things that is said 800 years before Ezekiel. 800 years actually before the prophecy of Ezekiel to the nation of, of Judah and Israel and a little over 800 years to the very fulfillment of that prophecy. The prophecy that we're studying tonight. But this is, again, 800 years before. And this is what the Lord says. If you go to verse, uh, I'm going to start reading at verse 45, and then I'm going to just jump to a couple of other verses. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee, and shall pursue thee, and overtake thee, till thou be destroyed, because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee. Do you notice now that this is a a curse? This is the, the warning of a curse for disobedience. And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder and upon thy seed forever, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, For the abundance of all things. And therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies. Which the Lord shall send uh, send against thee. In hunger and in thirst and in nakedness. And in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck. Until he hath destroyed thee. Now look at verse 49. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from afar. From the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue sh- uh, thou shalt not understand. Now, haven't, ha- hasn't the, the prophet already been told that, uh, you know, something to the effect that the people uh, were going to hear the word of God, but it was going to be like speaking to people that didn't understand the language, kind of, sort of. Anyway, it says, A nation of fierce countenance, verse 50, which shall not regard the person of the old nor show favor to the young. He shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land until thou be destroyed, which also thou shalt not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thy kind, or flocks of thy sheep, until he has destroyed thee. And now notice verse 52. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates. Underline the word besiege because a word from that word is going to be the focus of tonight. The word Siege. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy high and fenced walls come down, wherein thou trustest, uh, trusted, trustedest well, that's a hard one, throughout all thy land. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land, which the Lord thy God has given thee. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, notice the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which the Lord thy God has given thee in the siege and in the straightness or the narrowness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee, and more can be read. And, and I believed it was so necessary to read that first, because as we've been saying so often, God takes sin seriously, and especially among his own people. He takes it seriously when he's not taken seriously. So with that in mind, Ezekiel now has been told, you're going to be my watchman, I'm going to give you words, you eat them, they're going to be in you, you're going to speak my words when I tell you to speak them, but before you begin, you're not speaking. You're not speaking. You're silent. Until I tell you when to speak. Because I want you only to speak my words. And you're going to go to these people who are going to have ugly faces at you, but you're not going to be afraid of them. And they're going to say things, but you're not going to be afraid of them. But I warn you, don't become like them. That was the warning to Ezekiel. So now, notice in verse 1, Thou also, son of man, take thee a tile, a clay tablet, as it were, and lay it before thee, and portray upon it the city even... Jerusalem, and lay siege against it and built, uh, build a fort against it and cast a mount against it. You know what he's being told to do? He says, set up your war scene in front of you. Etch it out, sketch it out, draw it out, build it up. Nowadays, we would say, take out your, your iPod or your iPad, I should say, and, and, and sketch it out and, you know, kind of like the, the, what is it, the, the game of war or whatever they have nowadays. This is what he's doing. He's, he's, he's making it to where they can see what's going to happen. Lay siege against it, build a fort against it, cast a mount against it, set the camp also against it, and set battering rams against it round about. Moreover, take thou unto thee an iron pan. And set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city. Notice there's some words here that we read back in Deuteronomy 28. Iron. Big connections here, so remember that. Be listening and paying attention, you see. Moreover, take thou unto thee an iron pan and set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city, and set thy face against it, and it shall be besieged, and thou shalt lay siege against it. This shall be a sign to the house of Israel. Lie thou also upon thy left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of the days that thou shalt lie upon it, thou shalt bear their iniquity. For I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity. According to the number of the days, three hundred and ninety days, so shalt thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when thou hast accomplished them, Lie again on thy right side and thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have appointed thee each day for a year. And therefore thou shalt set thy face toward the siege of Jerusalem. And thine arm shall be uncovered and thou shalt prophesy against it. And behold I will lay bands upon thee. In other words... You'll be tied up, and thou shalt not turn thee from one side to another, till thou hast ended the days of thy siege. Every true calling to ministry begins with a personal encounter with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Ezekiel's calling to the prophetic ministry was with visions of God and his glory. I don't think you can get any more personal than that. But his service to the Lord was with a special series of messages that focused on God's coming judgment upon Judah and Jerusalem. Remember that Ezekiel was an exile in Babylon who had, who had been called to minister to his fellow Jewish exiles, and as with any exiles held captive, captive by, by foreign powers, his, his audience was discouraged. They were discouraged over their, hard, their hardships and their sufferings. They longed to be set free and allowed to return to their homeland. More than anything else, they wanted to hear a message of hope, but the Lord knew that what they really needed to hear was the truth. So Ezekiel was made a watchman by the Lord to be one, the one to sound the warning blast of approaching judgment. He was not to be afraid of the people 's faces he was to hear god 's words and speak them, and them only to the people and, and He was told not to become rebellious as the people had become, but what was so significant at the end of chapter three were the words of the Lord that essentially put Ezekiel under some house arrest to be bound and his tongue silenced until the Lord spoke to him and would open his mouth to say thus saith the Lord and as we enter chapter 4 we see Ezekiel being made a human telestrator you ever seen the presidents that have their telestrator machines you know so they can kind of uh, yeah they, 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 they cheat uh, you know, that way but just if they turned them around you get to see what they're doing you know telestrator is another thing you know telestrator is something like they use in nfl you know on the tv when they're doing etching out games and stuff you know so you got all of these things you know all these devices well that's what he's become god is using him as this human telestrator to diagram the siege that would be coming upon jerusalem we need to begin with the, the, the first four verses, which is, or the first three verses, which is the fact of the siege. The fact of the siege. And as we read already in Deuteronomy, the Lord had prophesied there was going to be a siege. Of course, Babylon wasn't mentioned in Deuteronomy, but now we realize the connection. We go back to verse one it says, Thou saw also, Son of Man, take thee a tile and lay it before thee and portray upon it the city, even Jerusalem. And lay siege against it, and and build a fort against it, and cast a mount against it. Set the camp also against it, and set battering rams against it round about. Moreover, take thou unto thee an iron pan, and set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city. And set thy face against it. And it shall be besieged, and thou shalt lay siege against it. This shall be a sign to the house of Israel. The tile, oftentimes called a clay tablet was essentially just a brick, a brick of about 12 by 14 inches. Excuse me. One Okay. second. Archaeologists have uncovered thousands of these bricks already in the area of Babylon where they're doing some archaeological uh, things, or they had been doing them uh, actually for a long time. But they found these kinds of bricks because this is what the ancient Babylonians used to write their records on. They would write them on these bricks. In fact, their libraries were full of these tiles. They would either draw a picture on it or they would scratch an an outline on the tile to illustrate. So it was like etchings. And they would do that to either uh, record their their history or record a story or, or tell a story or do business with it. The Lord has Ezekiel now take one of these drawing boards, as it were, and draw a picture of Jerusalem and, and draw a siege against it. He was to portray walls of, of dirt as, as earthen or, or wooden towers erected around the city. Uh, there's one coming up here, yeah. That's kind of from medieval times, but, but the, that's, that's a... That's a um, uh, you know, that's a, that's a siege uh, thing, you know, that they would take up uh, up against the wall and they would protect themselves with it so that they could uh, begin to enter into, into the city. Uh, siege towers, I'm sorry, my mind was all someplace else. The mound, or as it says, the mount, was a smooth incline that was used to push siege towers and battering rams up to the higher walls. There's one word that we need to remember about all of this. Patience. Patience. They had to have more patience than we've had patience for the uh, uh, remodeling of San Jacinto Plaza here. They had to have a lot more patience. Because they had to build, little by little, they began to build uh, these uh, dirt uh, ramps, as it were. One of the most amazing ones, for those of you that have been to Israel is, is the siege walls that were built up toward Masada. That, that was an amazing, um, uh, it's an amazing part of, the, of, uh, of uh, Israeli history. But um, camps then, as you'll notice, and I'm just going to be mentioning these things. Because we're going to move along very fast here in a moment, but camps were set up to cut off any supplies that would be smuggled into the city so that there would be no relief and no escape. So that was another part of the siege. So when you siege, when you when you besiege a city, you know, you're cutting off all of the lifelines. One of the greater lifelines of course is water. And, and uh, there's no mention of that here, but 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 I'm sure that this this was uh, you know, we can go back to Hezekiah's tunnel and all of that with the water that was going in and uh, into Jerusalem. But uh, that's for another time. The battering rams are very important here because they were constantly hammering and that hammering of the walls and of the gates was a uh, was done to weaken the city walls. Everything was done to weaken. It takes time. you've been to Jerusalem, you you see those walls and you think, man, that, I mean, they they could be impenetrable if they if they did things right, you know. But uh, but obviously, because they're human, you know, they they there were there would be flaws that would. Uh, be uh, exploited now the iron plate that is mentioned in verse 3 it signified the barrier between God and his people the iron plate and if I, as I mentioned back in, in Deuteronomy 28 there was a mention of iron there so there's, there's somewhat of a connection we can go back and look at it another time but the, the, the prophet took this plate of iron and he pushed it between him and the city now this again is all uh, this is show and tell this is all show and tell. He's doing everything that God is telling him to do so that he can show what is going to happen to Jerusalem. So he puts this plate between him and the city showing how God himself, in other words, that mock-up you know, drawing of the city, and he places himself in a, in a position where he puts that plate between them and Jerusalem. Showing how God himself was coming against the city. And the idea was that God's face was set against Jerusalem and any cries for help would fall on deaf ears because they wouldn't make it past the iron wall. Can we as his children, even today, cause such a barrier to exist between us and our God? Sure, a barrier in fellowship. A barrier in fellowship can develop because of sin. Or or leaving our first love. A barrier in prayer. As pointed out by the the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. When Isaiah says, Behold the Lord's hand is not shortened. That it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy, heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you. And your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. We do not break relationship with God as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ. But we can oftentimes break fellowship. To the extent that we sometimes don't, you know, we pray and we feel like God's not, we we just don't know if he's speaking to us. I'll tell you this, he's always speaking to us because of his word. What we're not doing is reading it. And what we're not doing is believing it and trusting it and doing it. I think of the words in Lamentations chapter 3, the book right before Ezekiel. Lamentations Lamentations chapter 3, verses 42 through 44, where it says, We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned. Thou hast covered with anger and persecuted us. Thou hast slain. Thou hast not pitied. Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayer should not pass through. And we think, well, that's just Old Testament. You know, that's just those dumb, you know, Israelites. Those, you know, those those guys. Really, those guys are not like us guys about what Paul says in in Ephesians chapter 4 interesting this is to the church to the church he says and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God Ephesians chapter 4 verses 30 to 32 he says grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption this is why I say we're not breaking relationship how do you break relationship he's father and we're sons and daughters what do we break we break fellowship it's always painful to break fellowship, isn't it? I don't know why we even want to do that with people you know, that we love and that love us except for the selfishness in our own hearts. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. He goes on and he says, let all bitterness and wrath, anger and clamor. Clamor is an interesting word. Clamor is like loud crying, but, but, but it's like shouting. It's like, like just it, it, a, a shouting of anger, so to, so to speak. He says, let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, maliciousness, be put away from you. With all malice, be, let it be put away from you. This is not you anymore. Be kind. One to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You know this is not disconnected to the attitude of the children of Israel amongst themselves. Even today, there are such tensions in, uh, from you know one Israeli to another at times. But for, a, for believers in Jesus Christ to be in this kind of condition it isn't to be. Be kind one to another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another. Do you notice that there's no, there are no footnotes to go and say unless, unless they're just being stupid with you then you can slap them. Just hit them. I I I don't. I better not. I don't have time to get into the political issue right now. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, so we have the fact now of the siege. The fact of the siege is out. This is what's going to happen in the near, very near future because of your disobedience. Now the length of the siege is expressed is explained or given to us in verses 4 through 8. Lie thou also upon thy left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it? According to the number of the days that thou shalt lie upon it, thou shalt bear their iniquity. For I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity according to the number of the days, 390 days. So shalt thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when thou hast accomplished them, in other words, he's going to be actually laying down on his, on his left side and looking north. Why north? Because north was the northern kingdom of Israel. The ones who had all the evil kings. The ones who moved away from the place where God said to worship him. And went up to the north and not only you know, set up an altar, but used the altar to worship other gods. 390 days... 390 years is what he says was the time of the, the iniquity the bearing the iniquity of the house of Israel and then when thou hast accomplished them lie again on thy right side so now he turns over to his right side and he faces south and thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days I have appointed thee each day for a year Therefore thou shalt set thy face toward the siege of Jerusalem, and thine arm shall be uncovered, and thou shalt prophesy against it. And behold, I will lay bands upon thee, and thou shalt not turn thee from one side to another, till thou hast ended the days of thy siege. In other words, this was upon Ezekiel. Ezekiel was going to be bound in the position Every time he laid down, because you need to realize this, he couldn't just lay down on his side for 390 days and then turn over and go and look the other way for another 40 days. That's, that's, a little, that's, that's over a year, isn't it? But he did this every day. Ezekiel was to lie on his left side for 390 days to represent the years that Israel sinned against the Lord. It was obvious a vivid, uh, obviously a vivid uh, object lesson for the people to see. But I don't want you to get the idea that he didn't get up to eat and, and go to the necessary facilities, because he did. But the majority of his day was spent in this position, bearing the iniquity of the house of Israel a day for each year. And now Ezekiel was to act out this symbolic drama for a total of 430 days. You know, you had the one, uh, 390 and, uh, and the 40 but it is difficult to determine the reason for, for, for these particular time frames. It really is. I, I've read and heard and, and studied so many different you know, beliefs of how this is all set up and why. But the, take, for example, the, the Northern Kingdom of Israel. Northern Kingdom of, of Israel only lasted 254 years historically. So, yet they were going to suffer how how many year, uh, years three hundred or they sinned three hundred ninety years so there's a there's an inclusion of of time uh, that that uh, that uh, kind of uh, uh, goes over you know uh, overlaps I should say from from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom when they were all one kingdom for example uh, perhaps we need to consider the phrase the years of their iniquity not the years of their existence. So the years of their iniquity as a people, this is what God is judging. And God really only knows what the lengths of, why the lengths are the way they are. And we can only speculate, honestly. But whatever the case, numerically, the Lord was warning the people through the prophet Ezekiel that a day of judgment was coming and there would be no escape. God is long-suffering, but there is a limit to God's patience. God is long-suffering, but there is a limit to his patience. The immoral and the lawless and the violent must eventually give an account for their wicked behavior. That's coming. And Jerusalem would be helpless against the Babylonian attack. That's what verses 7 and 8 are all about in the text. Verses 7 and 8 there of chapter 4. Thou shalt set thy face toward the siege of Jerusalem. Thine arm shall be uncovered and thou shalt prophesy against it. And behold, I will lay bands upon thee. His arm would be uncovered. As the uncovering of the arm of the Lord that would bring judgment. Again, I would say that we, we cannot separate the God of, 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 the, of the people of Israel in the Old Covenant, in, 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 in the Hebrew Scriptures, from, from the God who is the God of both Old and New Testament, right? So I, I, I present to you a, a little passage from Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. And notice again that these are words spoken to believers, these being the Hebrews, the Hebrew believers. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So the principle, the spiritual principles remain the same. For if the the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? You see the question here between what was presented as as that covenant between God and his people and how we have a covenant and, and yet that covenant because Christ has fulfilled that covenant for us For dying by dying on the cross and shedding his blood for our forgiveness. And yet, it's how we are now to live our new lives of faith and trust in the Lord. He says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Well, who was the great salvation for Israel? It was their God. That was the great salvation. He's our great salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the, ver- at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So we have a responsibility and an accountability to God for living our lives in holiness in godliness and righteousness. Yet we don't do it on our own power. We, not by might or power, but by His Spirit, by God's Spirit. Now, folks, there is the severity of the siege in verses nine through seventeen, and that's the rest of the chapter. And I need to read it because I got one more chapter. Go. <laughs> so it says here, "Take thou also unto thee wheat." Now, folks. If you've ever been to a, is it a Trader Joe's? Have you ever been to Trader Joe's? Or maybe there's some stores here that sell Ezekiel bread. You ever seen Ezekiel bread? And they say, well, this is, the, this is where they get the recipe from. So now you have the recipe. So if you want to make your own, you can. So take thou also unto thee wheat and barley and beans and lentils and millet and fitches, which is something called spelt, and put them in one vessel And make thee bread thereof according to the number of the days that thou shalt lie upon thy side. Now can you? Now I'm thinking. Now you got you got him lying on his side and he's making bread on his side. You know, he had a little side uh, job as a baker. You know, side job as a baker. (laughs) Sorry about that, Lord. Forgive me. Three hundred ninety days I shall eat thereof. So this is what he was supposed to eat every day and thy meat which thou shalt eat shall be by weight 20 shekels a day. And we're not talking money. We're talking amount. 20 shekels a day. I'll get to it in a moment. And then he says, from time to time shalt thou eat it. In other words, just eat a little bit a day, you know, from time to time. But you only get 20 shekels a day. You only get 20 shekels of weight a day. You know, I've been reading all that and I haven't even been showing you the verses. That's not a nice guy. I've got to be a nice guy. Okay, there's the there's the recipe for Ezekiel bread. And then verse 10. It's coming. Okay, and thy meat which thou shalt eat by weight uh, 20 shekels a day from time to time thou shalt eat it. We explained that. Verse 11 now. Thou shalt drink also water by measure, the sixth part of a hen. I'll give you the amount in a moment. From time to time shalt thou drink. And thou shalt eat it as barley cakes, and thou shalt bake it with dung that cometh out of man in their sight. This is not getting pretty. This is not pretty. The Lord said, even thus shall the children of Israel eat their defiled bread among the Gentiles whither I will drive them. Wherever I drive them, they will be tempted to eat defiled bread. Some will not, and most will. And then he goes on in verse 14 and says, Then said I, <laughs> this is Ezekiel, said, he says, oh Lord God. Behold, my soul has not been polluted. I have not polluted myself in this manner. Because you see, any contact with human excrement or dung was, uh, it was uh, unclean. It would make a person unclean. And then they would have to be set outside of the camp. That's why every, you know their, their facilities were outside of the camp. He says, I haven't been polluted for, for, for my youth up until, even until now. Have I not eaten of that which dieth of itself or, or is torn in pieces? Neither came there abomin, abominable flesh into my mouth. And then he said unto me, Lo, I have given thee cow's dung for man's dung. Okay. But at least they need to know what's going to happen. So you use this as a picture and thou shalt prepare thy bread there, therewith. You still, I tell you what, even with cow dung, it's going to be <laughs> a little on the strong side there. And he goes on and says, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, behold, I will break the staff of bread in Jerusalem. Now this is the important part. I will break the staff of bread in Jerusalem, and they shall eat bread by weight and with care, and they shall drink water by measure and with astonishment. That they may be that that they, uh, that they may want bread and water, and be astonished one with another, astonished one with another, and consume away for their iniquity. So here was a sign of terrible, terrible suffering. The Lord instructed Ezekiel to eat a strict, meager diet for three hundred and ninety days. So we're dealing with those first three hundred and ninety days. And when Babylon set up the siege around Jerusalem, which was to come just a few years later, they would cut off the city's food supply and the people would suffer starvation. Extreme, severe suffering would be their daily existence. Ezekiel was to make bread using these ingredients. Now, there's nothing unusual about the ingredients. They were were a common part of, of the Israelite diet. But what is unusual is the amount of food. Twenty shekels a day would amount to less than half a pound of food for the whole day. I'm not, I'm not. I don't know who did this, but you might have gone and had a, you know, you might have had a, a big, huge Carlos Jr., you know, seeping, you know, just juicy, you know, thing that's got about half a pound of beef in it in one sitting. And then you go home and, and eat something else, you know. And you probably ate something for breakfast, see. So uh, that, uh, th- this is eating just a, 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 a half a pound of food. Well, let's just call it this way, eight ounces. Eight ounces of this bread. Eight ounces of this bread for the whole day. That's why he says from time to time don't need it all at one sitting, but from time to time. Eat. One-sixth of a hen that is mentioned here would be about two-thirds of a quart of water to drink. From time to time, throughout the day, that was it. Eight ounces of bread and 21.3 ounces of water. the use of dung for fuel mixed with straw and left to dry was practiced throughout the Middle East where there was a scarcity of wood this dung burned slowly and it did give off a foul odor as you can imagine but the Lord does not tell him to use the uh, animal dung, he actually tells him to use the human waste which was of course unclean to the Jew and this again was a sign of judgment against them had to have been public so that everybody was like freaked out by what they were seeing and hearing but why the shock treatment because we we have to think why, why this shock treatment I believe it was to show what defiled looks like in God's eyes what does defiled look like in God's eyes and what does defile smell like in God's nostrils? You get the picture? You know, we, we cover up so much today with all kinds of things. Perfumes and colognes. But that's a good thing. I mean, that, that's a good thing. Please understand, you know. Time up. forgot that that's going to be distracting we we can cover up all kinds of stuff and, and some things are not bad but consider this uh, nowadays you know it, it's it's a it's a it's this new kind of oh, uh, fancy way of, uh, of of marketing alcohol liquor you know is it just a smelly you know thunderbird or MD 2020, oh, I tell you what, anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody remember? Yeah. All the stinky stuff you used to buy for, you know, a dollar, two twenty gallons, you know, that kind of stuff. And you go blind drinking it, right? But nowadays, oh my goodness, you can buy beer that has apple flavor in it and, and you know, uh, Margaritas that have Rita this and Rita that, and this fruit and that fruit, and you know, you just cover. Might as well Carmen have Carmen Miranda come out with her big banana head, you know, and, and serve you a drink. I mean, it's all covering everything up. But sin smells to God, and it's not a pleasant odor. The significance of this is, is shown in verses 16 and 17 of our text here. Moreover, he said unto me, he said, A man, behold, I will, I will break the staff of bread in Jerusalem. And they shall eat bread by weight and with, and with care, and they shall drink water by measure, and with astonishment that they may want bread and water, but, and be astonished, one with another, consume away for their iniquity. This was the warning of the coming famine upon Jerusalem. It was going to get so bad that the women would, would boil and eat their own children. We read that already, didn't we, in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And there's other places, you know, the prophets mention it. Many would starved to death during this time, though the people had left their first love. Folks, they left their first love. Who was their first love? God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People are leaving their first love today, and it's hard. It, it, it's painful for me to say that it, many of them in the church are just turning away from the blessings that God wants to give them by 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 heeding His Word. But then they, they go and change everything, and they 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 say, "No, Lord, we're welcoming. We're we're, we're a, you know we're we're a tolerant church. We we welcome everybody to come in, and, and just you know you have this lifestyle, that lifestyle. You do this, you do that, and you just come on in. God loves you. God love you here." Well, I'll tell you this, got to love them here too, but they got to know the truth. So we're not knocking the doors down to get in here. I do thank you for being here. And I'm very grateful to all who come on the weekends and are truly a blessing to us here pray for us and sustain this ministry God has given us of teaching God's word from Genesis to Revelation, verse by verse chapter by chapter book by book there's a prophecy in the book of Amos that says that there's a famine in the land but it's not a famine for food but a famine for the word of God we're there now in this country we're more about entertaining people and making people feel good than we are about making people be right before God. Judgment truly begins first in the house of God, doesn't it? What does Peter say in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17? He says, for the time has come that judgment must first begin at the house of God. And if it, begin, if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? What is it going to be when people do not obey the gospel? The good news. It's good news if we'll obey it. But if we don't, what will the end be? Well, The whole chapter, of uh, chapter 5, is, is, speaks to us of the results of the siege. And I didn't get that slide in there, so it starts at verse 1. And thou, Son of man, Take thee a sharp knife. Take thee a barber's razor and cause it to pass upon thine head and upon thy beard. And then take thee balances to weigh and divide the hair. Thou shalt burn with fire a third part in the midst of the city when the days of the siege are fulfilled. And thou shalt take a third part and smite it with a knife or a sword. And a third part thou shalt scatter in the wind, and I will draw out a sword after them. Thou shalt also take thereof a few in number, and bind them in thy skirts. And then take of them again, and cast them into the midst of the fire, and burn them in the fire, for thereof shall a fire come forth into all the house of Israel. The prophet was to save both his head and uh, uh, to shave both his head and his beard, and was to place the hair into three equal parts. Now, <clears throat> baldness may be in style today, <laughs> but this was a real sacrifice for the Jewish man. This was a real sacrifice for the Jewish man. It spoke of mourning. It spoke of shame. It spoke of humiliation and disgrace. That's what the shavehead had meant to the Jewish person. It symbolized Israel's broken covenant with the Lord. And as we read, the first part of the hair was burned. The second part was struck with a sword and the third part was scattered by the wind while a small portion was hidden in his robe. This was the symbolism. The significance follows. But before we go on into the significance of it, let me, let me just say here that this is obviously prophetic. And shortly that would take place. And it would happen more than once. This would happen when the Babylonians would come up of course, because that's what he's prophesying. And, and that third, you know, as, as it, it tells us here, that third would be burned and really destroyed and uh, the others uh, struck with a sword, so there was one third burned, one third uh, killed by the sword. And then a third part scattered. And there's always been scattering for the Jewish people. But then there's always a little remnant, a remnant of true believers that God protects over the many years, over the many centuries. And that would happen again. To some extent, it would happen again in the time of, of uh, after Jesus' resurrection. And the city would be destroyed again. And then the Jews would scatter into all of the world. Then we read the prophecies in the book of Revelation that talk about Israel and uh, what's happening, what's going to be happening there, what's happening now, by the way. There are some now prophecies taking place. But it's all leading. When When you read what happens to the people, a third will be destroyed in Jerusalem. In Israel. So these are prophecies that have been warned about from, for a, a long, long time before they would happen. What is that saying to you? What does that say to people about the accuracy of the Word of God, about the reliability of the Word of God, about the inerrancy of the Word of God? And yet you have these people going around saying, well, the Bible is just man's words, really? It's just man's way. Man's weakness, you know. Man creating his his God in his own image. Well, last time I checked, there's a Jerusalem. And there's an Israel. And there are places where Jesus walked. There's a place where Jesus died. There's a place where Jesus rose from the dead. And there's a place from where Jesus ascended into heaven and said... As you will see me go, you're going to see me come again. And of course, the angels will also said that. As you saw him go, you're going to see Him come again. So if everything happened that happened, because He said it was going to happen, then it's going to happen again. So why don't we get right with God then? Because the, the word of God is true. And let's quit trying to find ways of you know, finding loopholes in life. No. There's no reason to. All right, now we got to get to the significance of of the symbolism. Verse 5, it says, Thus saith the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. You know, there's just one little statement. He says, hey, you know, all this stuff I've said, this is Jerusalem. This is Jerusalem. I have said it in the midst of the nations and countries that are round about her. And she has changed my judgments into wickedness. More than the nations and my statutes more than the countries that are round about her. For they have refused my judgments and my statutes, they have not walked in them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because you multiplied more than the nations that are round about you, and have not walked in my statutes, neither have kept my judgments, neither have done according to the judgments of the nations that are round about you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I, even I, am against thee and will execute judgments in the midst of thee in the sight of the nations. And I will do in thee that which I have not done and whereunto I will not do any more the like because of all thine abominations." Therefore the fathers shall eat the sons in the midst of thee. There it is. And the sons shall eat their fathers. We read it here and we read it in Deuteronomy. And I will execute judgments in thee and the whole remnant of thee will I scatter into all the winds. Wherefore as I live, saith the Lord God, surely because thou hast defiled my sanctuary with all thy detestable things, and with all thine abominations, therefore will I also diminish thee. Neither shall mine eye spare, neither will I have any pity. Verse 12 is, is the significant part. A third part of thee shall die with the pestilence. And with famine shall they be consumed in the midst of thee. And a third part shall fall by the sword round about thee. And I will scatter a third part into all the winds, and I will draw out a sword after them. Thus shall mine anger be accomplished, and I will cause my fury to rest upon them, and I will be comforted. May I tell you that the word comforted there literally means to be avenged. I will be avenged. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so, the understanding is, listen, for God to have to bring this judgment about weighs heavy upon his heart because these are his people. But his law and his glory his truth his name his person are so much greater and the way that his own people uh, disobeyed and rebelled against God in bringing judgment It's not so much like a comfort even though it is. But it is well. I I've, I've been avenged. And they shall know that I the Lord have spoken it in my zeal when I have accomplished my fury in them. Moreover will I I will make thee waste and a reproach among the nations that are round about thee in the sight of all that pass by. That didn't come up, did it? Try it again. Important because of the word waste. What was the Lord trying to get by with that? Or what was He trying to get out to us about the waste? He says, You've done this, that's what you become like. Verse 15. So it shall be a reproach and a taunt an instruction and an astonishment unto the nations that are round about thee. In other words you've you've become now an example to them. When I shall execute judgments in thee in anger and in fury and in furious rebukes I the Lord have spoken it. When I shall send upon them the evil arrows of famine which shall be for their destruction and which I will send to destroy you And I will increase the famine upon you and will break your staff of bread. So will I send upon you famine and evil beasts and they shall bereave thee and pestilence and blood shall pass through thee. And I will bring the sword upon thee. I, the Lord, have spoken it. These can't be easy words for the Lord to give. And don't forget that there's still a warning don't forget that this is supposed to be going forth as a warning by a watchman to the people because of their their sin. But it's also, but it's also a prophecy. So listen, this is, this is what's going to happen. The opportunity to repent is now. Now. Now remember though, they're in they're in captivity. They're in captivity. So verse 12, as I said, interprets the visual act of the shaving of Ezekiel's hair and and beard to predict that one-third of of Jerusalem's people would soon die by pestilence and famine. That's that's the fire, the fire of this pestilence and famine. Another third would die by the sword, the invasion. and, And the final third would be scattered as they fled the devastated city. I, I don't think I'm far in, in saying that you know when you t- think about uh, pestilence and famine, that uh, these are direct results of, of, of catastrophic events. And uh, if you go back in history to uh, to the end of World War II and, and the, the, the dropping of the uh, atom bomb in, in in Japan twice in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and and and, and think about the, the destruction and 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 what happened to the people, what was what was the end result of all of these things? because of the war, because of all of this tension and, 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 and finally things had to happen and this, this happened and, and, and uh, there was a burning and there was pestilence and the famine. Interesting to think about, isn't it? And today we are greater in the sense of what we have militarily as far as weapons are concerned. Weapons of mass destruction. They're all around us. ISIS, uh, uh, Al-Qaeda, rogue Arab nations, Arab nations, they all want a part of it to do what? To destroy God's people, to destroy the land of Israel, to destroy the people of Israel. What are we aiming toward? Why, why, again, if we if we consider this this idea of prophecy, folks? And, and prophecy, this is not a, this is not a thing. I, I think I've mentioned this before that the, we're talking about prophecy. We're not talking about some, you know, some theological position. Like uh, you know, well, you know, my church holds to this theological position of post-tribulation or post-millennialism or post-what? Hey, post toasties man. It hasn't happened yet which means it's prophecy and it's something that is yet to come. And we need to be ready for anything. And the Lord says, come to me and you'll be ready. Wait on me and you'll be ready. Be ready and I'll come for you. The final third would be scattered as they fled the devastated city. The few strands that were put into his robe, they they, they represented the remnant that would be saved. Some people might ask the question, why was the Lord angry with his people? That brings us back to our our, our initial beginning here. I mean, is not God angry at sin every day? This is what the Bible says, God is angry at sin every day. Why was the Lord angry with His people? Well, they rebelled against His law. You can mark that in verse 6 of chapter 15. They defiled the temple. That's in verse 11. They did more abominations than the heathen nations. That's verses 5 and 6. And they did not glorify the Lord, but they used all of His blessings to promote their sin. They used all of God's blessings and still, they promoted their sin. Wow. In closing, let me say knowledge brings responsibility. Knowledge brings responsibility. To whom much is given, much will be demanded. Let me ask you these questions What are we doing? with the knowledge that we have in the Word of God. What are we doing with the knowledge that we have? Even if it's just this much knowledge, what are we doing with the knowledge that we have in the Word of God? Secondly, are we responding to His Word every day? Are we responding to His Word because we read His Word every day? Now, if you're not reading His Word every day, I would encourage you to do that. But are we responding to His Word? the word that speaks to our hearts, the word that says to us, listen, we're moving in the wrong direction here. I want you to be moving with me. I want to be the one to move you. You need to let me. Come back to me. Eventually, what does Jesus say? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Why are they burdened and heavy laden? Because they're doing things on their own they are not trusting in the Lord who said I'll I'll, I'll be with you I'll be your strength I'll be your wisdom I'll get you through the hard times and you're going to have them you just need to stay faithful stay faithful with me thirdly is it shaping is the word of God shaping our lives in holiness and godliness is it shaping us I struggle sometimes when I read things on Facebook by people that I may know. Not any of you. not talking about any of you. I don't get on. I was telling Roger, I don't get on very much, you know. I don't get on very much, but, you know. But sometimes I'll read some stuff. And some people will be talking, oh, praise the Lord this and praise the Lord that. And then all of a sudden they put a post in there and they've got all this language, man. I'm like, Jekyll and Hyde, man, what happened here? You know, one day they're this way, and the next day they're—they got the big words, man. It's like, oh, what happened here? See, so where are we at? You know? Yeah, I understand we're human, but folks, read First and Second Peter tonight before you go to bed. It doesn't it won't take long. In chapter one of chapter of First Peter, Peter quotes from the Old Testament, from the book of Le- Leviticus. When God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, can we be holy in and of ourselves? No. But we surrender. We surrender to the righteousness of Christ. And as Christians, we now put on the the righteousness of Christ. Read Romans chapter 13. I'm giving you a lot of homework tonight. and I'll, I'll be watching. Let me close with Second Peter chapter three verses nine through twelve because this have a this has a prophetic connotation to it all, but it also has a present connotation. Second Peter chapter three verse nine. It says, "The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." Amen. But notice in the, in verse ten. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That's yet to come. But notice verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation, which is conduct in all holy conversation and godliness. And lastly, verse 12. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Looking for that day. Wanting it to come as soon as possible. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. uh, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, I better remind you of something. I told you once, it's going to happen, but now you need to get your life right. Why? Because it's going to happen. So I mentioned, you know, the the dissolving and the elements melting with fervent heat. twice, So that you'll know how we are to live when Jesus comes. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to get through these uh, two chapters, Lord. A very general message, but nonetheless um, looking carefully at some of the specifics. I pray, Father, that we did. I pray that we continue. I pray, Lord, that you will um, help us and strengthen us, Lord, as we as we read your word tonight, as we prepare to uh, go to sleep and rest and, and uh, Lord, uh, be used of you tomorrow in whatever capacity and calling you've given. I bless you and I praise you so much, Lord God, because you have been, Lord, for us, a, a, a wonderful, a, a, a long-suffering God, a merciful God, a gracious God. But you continue to be a holy God and a true and righteous God. And Lord, we we need to understand how important it is for us to surrender to the power of your Holy Spirit. To know, Lord, it isn't by our strength that we can be these things or that we can do these things because we, in in and of ourselves, can do nothing without Christ. And so, Father, fill us with your Spirit. Baptize us in your love. And grant us, oh God, your peace that passes understanding and fills our hearts and minds with all of who you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.